Greetings and welcome to A Stone in Zion, the weekly podcast of Zion Lutheran Church in Reedfield, Wisconsin. I am Pastor Peter Kesting, and we do not have a guest here this week, but I do want to give a little introduction to my sermon and some thoughts on the plans here for the next few weeks. I did take off <clears throat> some time here um, between Thanksgiving and Christmas. So I want to thank you for uh, being patient with me as I got my my things back in order here. Um, continuing with my sermon series on Isaiah, it's been good. I'm I have a couple weeks left to it. I think I've I've really enjoyed it. Looking at Isaiah, I've I've gone through Isaiah for the whole the whole Advent and Christmas season, and now uh, for a few weeks here in Epiphany, I'm still looking at Isaiah. Um, this sermon that's coming up here, it is from Isaiah chapter 42, and it's on the baptism of Jesus, and it's just you know a really neat section how we see the baptism of Jesus was foreseen you know like so much of Isaiah it's like boy was he there you know did he did God give him a prophetic vision of this how or did he just give him the words Uh, you kind of wonder exactly how Isaiah did his prophecy but uh yeah you know you you see in one of the verses where it says the father is sending his spirit upon his servant and this is one of the verses in the Old Testament that has the Trinity. And in fact, I'd have to do a little research, but it might be the only time when all three persons of the Trinity are mentioned in one verse. I, I think there may be as some others, but um, I don't mention that in my sermon at all. Uh, but yeah, this is one of the times when all three persons are mentioned in one verse. And of course, Jesus' baptism is one of the times in the New Testament when we see all three persons together, all three persons of the Trinity together. And it's a, a very special thing there. Um, so the sermon is on Jesus' baptism, but from a whole different perspective and the freedom that we have from release from captivity and you know i think this is a this is a good one i think all of us do feel at times like we are in dungeons of our own creation and jesus brings release from that um just a a note on the the future here of the podcast i have some plans i've got uh, John Favorite, who's the worship leader of the core. Uh, I plan on having him come on here in a little bit. Um, it could be next week, if not uh, the week after that. I, I want to get some more information about this family, myfamilytable.org. Um, I haven't gotten, I haven't really reached out to any of those guys yet, but I hope to get some of them um, involved as well. And, um, some more pastors from from the circuit that I'm in. Uh, I, I had Pastor Ibish come on here. We had Pastor Regner. Uh, I still need uh, Pastor uh, Lillo to come on. So I got to reach out to him as well. 
Um, so that's just some of the thoughts that I have here for the next few weeks of people to get on here. If you're an avid listener and you've got some thoughts about who you would like to have, you know, who you might be interested in, um, reach out to me. I can always reach out to that person here in our circles. So I guess that's about all I have for my, my intro to my sermon. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for your patience as I um, took a little um, sabbatical, I guess you could call it, from the podcast here. And uh, looking forward to getting back into it. Our Old Testament lesson will serve as our sermon text for today. The book of Isaiah, allow me just to read uh, the last couple verses there for you again. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the story starts out, the main character lives a, a normal, average life, going about doing their job, doing everything that a, a normal person would do. But then all of a sudden, it becomes apparent that this person is being called to do an extraordinary task. They have been chosen to do something that is way beyond their normal scope of things. Perhaps it's some amazing thing like to defeat the forces of darkness, to defeat an evil wizard, to throw a ring in a volcano, to do some amazing thing. And they are the chosen one. It's a pretty common theme, that idea of the chosen one. If you look at books and movies, most of them have that idea in them, right? Why is that so intriguing to us? Well, I think it's interesting because maybe in the back of our own minds, we would like to think that we have been chosen to do something extraordinary. But if you look at these people who are chosen, usually amazing things happen. They, they do things that are, they use powers and authorities to accomplish what they need to do. They use superpowers sometimes to accomplish these things, and they fight the forces of evil. Well, today we're looking at God's chosen one. And God's chosen one is pretty different than the books and the movies. Jesus was called to do something that's more important than any superheroes ever done, but he did it in different ways. We see here in our text that the Lord would be gentle and humble. He would reach out to those who were captives, locked away in dark dungeons, and he would release them from their prisons. We also see here in our text that he would come to bring justice to the nations. Of course, this was all recognized when he was baptized in the Jordan River is when he began that work as our Savior. But you know, Jesus makes a very different kind of 
hero, a different kind of chosen one than most people think of. Here in our text it says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. What do you think it means when he says that a bruised reed he will not break? A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. We can maybe imagine those pictures in our own minds. A bruised reed, one that's that's ready and easily broken, but he won't do it. Or you can think of a, a smoldering wick, right? A candle that has been lit and been blown out. It's got that ember, that that last little bit there. It's so easy for that to go out. In fact, it goes out on its own, but he will not be the one to snuff it out. Really, this is pointing to this servant of the Lord being gentle and humble and being mindful of those who are weak those who are disadvantaged, those who are broken because of sin. And this is where we see that Jesus is a different kind of Savior than what was expected, especially even back in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, as it is today, the strong get stronger by oppressing the weak. I wish we could say that it didn't happen, but it happens, right? And in the Greek world 2,000 years ago, the weak were marginalized. That means that that they were kind of put off to the side and they weren't really thought about. And if you study how the average person thought about children 2,000 years ago, they weren't thought of very highly. See, for the Greeks, wisdom was everything. And if a child did not have wisdom, as children don't have the wisdom, at least that they thought of, they didn't think very highly of children. And there was a lot of abuse. And that was true for all those who were seen as weak, who were broken, who were downtrodden. They were abused and left behind. But not this servant of the Lord. This servant of the Lord would look for those who were weak, those who were maybe put on the outskirts, marginalized, the downtrodden. And he would not stomp on them. In fact, he came for them. And of course, as we look at how Jesus lived his life and did his ministry after he was baptized, we see him reaching out to those who were outcasts, to those who were beaten down and broken by sin. He reached out to the children who were people who were forgotten about at that time. And he held them up as a model for us to follow. It's interesting to see what kind of chosen one Jesus was. And it's good to know. Because I think all of us in our lives can sometimes think of ourselves and and see ourselves as a broken reed, as a smoldering wick. 
Maybe our sins have caused us to feel broken down. Things in our lives maybe haven't been going the way that we hoped that they would. We feel broken. A smoldering wick. You know, at one point it was a, a flame that was on fire. But now it's hardly a fraction of its glory. Do we ever feel that way? Like we're easily snuffed out? We feel weak? Almost feel defeated? That Jesus is your Savior. And to really bring home that idea, Jesus, or Isaiah here, tells us what this servant's whole goal is going to be. They are going to go to the prisons, to the dungeons, and to release those who sit in darkness. Now, if we're thinking about Jesus, when did Jesus do a jailbreak? Now, we don't remember that. You know, that's kind of a exciting thing to happen in an old Western movie, break everyone out of jail, but that didn't really happen in the Gospels. But of course we have to realize it's a different kind of dungeon. A dungeon of our own creation. And if you think about it, we're the ones who make our own dungeons, right? The worst dungeons that we have are usually of our own creation. We live in a world that's filled with sin. We're surrounded by temptations. Temptations to break God's will. Temptations to, you know, feed our our sinful desires. There's temptation all around us. And sometimes when we look at the times when we're most likely in a dungeon, it's because we gave in to those temptations. The thing about dungeons, the word that's used here in our Old Testament text from Isaiah that a dungeon's not like our current prisons today. You know, our, our prisons today are uh, very you know, organized and, and are watched over. There's something that the state controls. But you know, back then, a dungeon was a place where you put someone really to forget about them. Often people died in these prisons short, or these dungeons, shortly after they were put there. It was a place to forget about someone. And a lot of times, these dungeons, they were hopeless. Once you were there, that was it. There was no parole. There was no getting out. So it's an interesting word that's used here by God in Isaiah to refer to how we are because of our sin. Seems hopeless. But of course, that's why this servant of the Lord would come into this world to bring hope where there was no hope. To do something that was unthinkable. To release someone who was in one of these dungeons. These people that were meant to be forgotten about would be released. Perhaps there's times in people's lives when they feel like they're hopeless. Maybe you've known someone like that. I, I've met someone who basically said, you know, Pastor, don't, don't, don't worry about me. Don't bother with me. I've done way too many bad things. There's no way God could ever forgive me. 
Go work on someone else who's got a better chance, who's got some hope. I'm hopeless. But of course, that's what Jesus came into this world to do, was to help those who had no hope. And he comes to us and assures us that if there's ever a time when we feel like it is hopeless, that it cannot get better, that Jesus is the one who releases us from that dungeon sitting in darkness. And he gives us hope. He gives us light. And we need to look to him. As it says here in this text that... Um, in faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. That's another important work that the chosen one would do. He would bring forth justice. What do you think that means? What is justice? Well, I think so often when we think about justice, we think of crimes being punished, right? I mean, we have a justice department and what they do is basically that. They punish criminals. In the superhero world, there's the Justice League. Guys like Batman, Superman. What do they do? Well, they beat up criminals, right? So when it says here in our text that, that this servant of the Lord was going to come into this world and he was going to bring justice to the nations, what does that mean? Is the servant of the Lord going to come and Punish criminals? Well, in a sense, it is. It does mean that. Now, if you think about Jesus, you know, did we see him doing that? Did we see him beating up bad guys? No. That's because he gives justice in a very different way. He comes and he realizes, yes, crimes have been committed. Sins have been committed. And he is going to get justice, but not with his fists, not on other people. Because he realizes that the justice, the punishment for sin would mean eternal separation from God. And that's why this chosen one, this hero is different than any others, because he loves those he is sent to save. He treats them gently, those who are broken. And he realizes that that punishment would not be anything that we could carry on our own. So he takes the punishment upon himself. So yeah, he came to punish criminals. And he made himself the biggest criminal that ever existed by taking the sins of the entire world upon himself. And then he took the punishment there on the cross. But... Before he could do that, before that death on the cross could count as the substitute for all mankind, Jesus had to be our substitute. Why was Jesus baptized? You know, why are we baptized? Why do we baptize our children? Well, we know that when a child, even a little baby, comes into this world, they, they have sin that they inherited from their parents. And the sins of action are soon to come following 
after that inherited sin. Right? So that child, that, that baby, needs a savior from their sins. That child is, is baptized because we're also told that in the waters of baptism, the, the person who's being baptized receives faith and salvation. So I guess we are baptized and we baptize our children so that their sins can be forgiven and so that they can have faith. Well, what about Jesus? Did he need to have his sins forgiven? Did he need to have faith? He had the forgiveness of sins. He didn't have any sins to be forgiven, really. And he had faith. So he was baptized to be our substitute. Whenever you do cooking, a lot of times you have to do substitutions, right? You know, it's just part of part of life when you're cooking. And of course, you always want to get something that's as close as possible. Right? If you recipe calls for a cup of butter. Uh, maybe a cup of oil might do. But would a cup of flour do as a substitute? Not really, right? You'd have a completely different thing. Jesus lived as our substitute. He did everything that was required of us. He wanted to be as much of a substitute for us as he could possibly be. So he was baptized in the Jordan River. We see, you know, John even recognized that. You know, Jesus, why should I baptize you? You have to baptize me. But he consented when he realized that this was necessary for all righteousness, so that Jesus could take our place. And then Jesus lived as one of us. He knew what it was like to lose a loved one. By Jesus' death, his father Joseph had died already. He had known the loss, death of his father. He knew the death of friends like Lazarus. He knew what that was like to lose someone he cared about greatly. He knew what it was like to suffer other pains and other things. He knew what it was like to be lonely. He spent 40 days in the wilderness. He knew all those things that, that we go through. And yet, he took our sins upon himself as our substitute, as our, our, our person who took our place. And he took the punishment for sins upon himself. And he did bring justice then to the nations. This was for all people. As it says here in our text, that he would be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. You know, Isaiah doesn't say specifically who this servant of the Lord is. And people have wondered, you know, could other people fit the bill? You know, could this be talking about some future king like Cyrus who would help the Israelite people when they were in captivity? Well, you know, Cyrus was a king who would use his power, his authority, his armies to accomplish God's will. Yes, but he used force. Totally different than this servant here in our text. And really different than any servant that we could ever find. No, 
we see that even though it was 700 years before Jesus was born, that this was a reference to Jesus. Because he alone had the Spirit come upon him and empower him to do the work that he did. To be a covenant for the people, take our place, to be a light for the Gentiles, for all people. Yes, for all people living in dark dungeons, he is a light. He is hope. As we see that Jesus is the anointed one, we see that God kept his promises that he made in Isaiah, and he's still keeping them today. As Jesus, what he did for us, still lives in our hearts. May all praise and glory be to him as a light that has dawned for all the world. Amen. <laughs>